Our failed president. The worst economy in U.S. history. More Americans have died in this four-month period than ever before. Donald Trump's response? Stop the election. He can't win. We voted during the wars. We voted in the Great Depression. We voted when civil unrest swept the country. Americans died for our right to vote. Americans marched for our right to vote. Americans were beaten and brutalized for our right to vote. Now a failed president faces defeat with millions out of work and tens of thousands dying from his incompetence and neglect, threatening the very foundations of democracy. Donald Trump, here's the message. We will vote. We will defend America. We will throw you and your failed cronies out of office. The choice, America or Trump. The Lincoln Project is responsible for the content of this advertising. Well, thank you, Lincoln Project. I enjoyed that advertising. Good work. Don't be afraid. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. I am. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A. Also in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. In Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids on WPRR, in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk. Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. And thanks to the Lincoln Project for that ad that we ran there at the top of the show. Unpaid for, by the way. We just ran it because we chose to ran it. Yeah, Uh, I like that ad, I have to say. We will vote. I like it, too. Hi, Desi Doyen. Hi. That ad comes from the Lincoln Project, as I mentioned, which is a uh, a bunch of Republicans, including the husband of Kellyanne Conway. (laughs) Yeah. George Conway. God, that is so bizarre. But they know how to put together ads. Very hard-hitting ads. Right, which is why Democrats have so many problems in elections, because Republicans put together ads like that that are not afraid, that are not cowering in fear about Trump's distraction tweet on Thursday regarding postponing the election. 
if you are uh, afraid of his tweet, you are doing exactly what he wants you to do. He wants you to be afraid of him. He wants you to avoid talking about what he desperately doesn't want you to talk about. He would much rather have you talk about his tweets. His his threat to postpone the election is so legally ridiculous that even the co-founder of the far-right legal organization, the Federalist Society, said in response on Thursday that Trump's bid to move Election Day was not only absurd and ridiculous, but, quote, fascistic and, yes, worthy of impeachment. It's from the co-founder of the Federalist Society. Stephen Calabresi wrote in a New York Times op-ed that he voted for Trump, that he protested the Robert Mueller investigation and, and opposed the president's impeachment over the Ukraine pressure campaign. But he writes... I am frankly appalled by the president's recent tweet seeking to postpone the November election. Until recently, he writes, I had taken it as hi political hyperbole, the Democrats' assertion that President Trump is a fascist. But this latest tweet is fascistic and, he says, is itself grounds for the president's immediate impeachment again by the House of Representatives and his removal from office by the Senate. That coming from the from the co-founder of the Federalist Society. Well, I guess we figured out where his line is finally. Yeah, I guess. That said, even Calabresi's Times op-ed, you know, helped to derail the discussion of what we should have been talking about on Thursday the things that Donald Trump, especially on Thursday, did not want the media or the American people talking about. What would he rather not talk about that day? Well, since his tweet came just minutes after the Commerce Department released staggering new numbers for the second quarter, just minutes before his tweet, I would say it was a pretty swell way to distract from what pretty much the entirety of the media would have been talking about all day on Thursday. But for that tweet, specifically the all time hands down worst ec quarterly economic numbers in the history of the U.S. by far. With an annualized staggering 33% plummet in gross domestic product. 33%. The U.S. economy has fallen over a cliff not even seen during the Great Depression. That would have been the news coverage pretty much all day on Thursday. Instead, it was about the outrage over Trump's impotent suggestion to delay the election. Impotent because he does not have the power as president to change the date of the election, period, end of story. He can, by the way, as our friend uh, Mark Joseph Stern, legal reporter over at Slate, noted on Thursday, he can demand a delay in the election. He could, in the scenario Mark uh, uh, suggests, on uh, November 2nd, for example, the day before the election, demand that it be delayed due to pretend claims of fraud. His demand would have no actual legal basis, but it might kick off some pretty scary circumstances at the uh, Supreme Court and lead to claims that the election was illegitimate, etc. We can get into uh, his scenario on another day, but what happened on Thursday was little more than an attempt by Donald Trump to hijack the news cycle which, for all of his failings as president and as a human being, he is, unfortunately, a master at. And the media fell for it. 
They fall for it every single time, in fact. That's what the conversation was all about yesterday. Not the worst economic numbers in the history of the United States, not the COVID infection and death rates that continue to climb in uh, breaking records in state after state. Not even that Herman Cain may have died after catching the coronavirus at the Tulsa at Trump's Tulsa rally, which health experts begged him not to hold. Not the uh, Trump's federal stormtroopers still terrorizing Americans around the country. Not the 11th Circuit courts tossing out the ruling of a three-judge panel on the court uh, where two Republicans, including one horrible Trump appointee, ordered a lower court to immediately dismiss the conviction against Trump's former national security advisor, Michael Flynn, for lying to federal investigators about his conversations with Russia before Trump's inauguration. After Trump's corrupt fixer, Attorney General Bill Barr, interceded into that case, telling the court that they wanted to drop the charges against Flynn, leading to the uh, resignation of the uh, career prosecutors had, who had successfully got that uh, that conviction against Flynn. Well, now those charges are undropped uh, again <laughs> against Michael Flynn, now pending a full hearing by the full 11th Circuit. That's huge news, huge news. Any other day, at least under any other president, that alone would have dominated the news cycle as would the economic numbers, but not on Thursday, not thanks to Trump's masterful tweet. Instead, everyone ran around being scared to death that Donald Trump is now becoming a dictator by declaring something that even Republicans concede he has absolutely no power to do, and even the Federalist Society says he should be impeached for immediately. Also, that did him the favor of uh, forward that tweet and, and discussion about it did him the favor of forwarding his his phony claims that were tweeted at the same time that the 2020 election will be in his all caps words, the most inaccurate and fraudulent election in history, all of which helps him to convince his brain dead followers that that is true, whether it is true or not. So he can make such claims in the future whether there's any actual evidence for it. But by way of a, of, of a side note here, few people seem to notice, by the way, that his tweet, which called for delaying the election until, quote, people can safely vote, that also kind of flies in the face of his insistence that school children begin immediately crowding into in-person classes as the school year begins in August and September. Apparently it's not safe enough to vote according to Trump, but it is safe enough to send uh, your kids to school five days a week into crowded classrooms with their teachers, I guess. So I have to join uh, with TPM's Josh Marshall here on this today as uh, he writes, uh, there's a strong temptation, maybe a reflex, to be frightened and outraged by the president's floating the idea of delaying the November election. But the only appropriate response is mockery and ridicule of the president's weakness and corruption. As a factual and procedural matter, none of this is the president is in the president's control. He notes in practice, no one can change the date of the election. In theory, Congress could. But good luck getting Nancy Pelosi to sign on to that. He says, I've seen plenty of comments today on the order of, well, yeah, that's the law. Since when does Trump follow the law? You think he's now going to start paying attention to the Constitution? Josh writes, I understand everyone is afraid, but this is loser talk. 
All of this, he says, comes from Trump's weakness rather than strength, a sinking ship. The answer in any trial of strength or right is to maintain the initiative rather than cower. This is a hard moment, he concedes, not because of this morning's nonsense, but because of all the threats we face through this election. We cannot control everything that happens to us, either individually or in the civic exist in our civic existence. But we can avoid losing battles in our own heads before they even start. Let's not do that, he says. Don't cower. And I could not agree with him more. Don't play into Donald Trump's hands. Don't let Trump terrorize you. And for God's sake, stop letting him decide what we talk about every day because that only plays into his hands. It's exactly what he wants you to do. He wants you to be afraid of him. He wants you to talk about what he wants to talk about. Don't be afraid of him. He is impotent unless you allow him to not be. He's also a criminal, but you already knew that. What you probably didn't know is how criminal his behavior actually is as a new complaint regarding his corrupt presidential campaign committee was filed uh, with the Federal Elections Commission this week by the Campaign Legal Center. That complaint newly highlights his corruption, stuff we didn't even know about before. The CLC attorney who filed that week's uh, pretty amazing, this week's pretty amazing complaint, uh, will join us to explain momentarily. But uh, very quickly, speaking of uh, criminal corruption... We had to push Desi Doyen's Green News report back yesterday. <laughs> yes, but that's not the criminal corruption. No, that is not Looks the criminal corruption. Uh, <laughs> we had to push it back to extend my conversation with my guest David Dayan about that remarkable hearing in the U.S. House on Wednesday on anti-competitive monopoly practices, uh, which was also not discussed on Thursday as much as it should have been, and uh, uh, to talk with David about the White House and Senate Republican failure to agree on a new emergency relief bill as the economy crumbles, as expanded unemployment benefits now expired at the end of July with some 30 million Americans now jobless. And with states and cities and hospitals running out of money and as the moratorium on evicting people from their homes uh, you know, for being unable to pay their mortgages, as that also expires, all of that was not talked about. We talked about it on this show, but... Anyway, because of all that, we had to push the GNR back until today. That will come up later. But one of the stories that we have been covering closely uh, on the Green News Report and uh, on the broadcast is this huge scandal that broke last week in Ohio. Also, God, that was only last week. Yeah, that was last week. To, and it got very little coverage by the national media involving the arrest of the Republican Speaker of the House of Representatives for heading up a $60 million conspiracy to push through a $1.5 billion bill last year in Ohio called HB6 that would uh, charge state ratepayers more money uh, on their electric bill in order to save two dying coal plants and two dying nuclear plants while slashing the state's otherwise so far successful renewable energy uh, initiatives. Well, we have a quick update today on that story out of Ohio. 
Ohio House Speaker Larry Householder was ousted on Thursday from his role as Speaker in a unanimous and bipartisan vote following his arrest in what prosecutors called the largest bribery money laundering scheme ever perpetrated against the people of the state of Ohio. Householder is the first Ohio speaker ever removed by the chamber, though for now he still retains his seat in the GOP-led legislature. His lucky constituents. Remaining members of Householder's leadership team uh, said that he deserves the presumption of innocence but that he, quote, lost the trust of his colleagues and the public and couldn't effectively lead the House. The 61-year-old householder, regarded as one of the state's three most powerful lawmakers, was taken into custody and charged with racketeering conspiracy last week after his uh, farm was raided by federal officials on July 21, also arrested and charged in the conspiracy so far, were the uh, Speaker's top advisor, a former Ohio Republican Party chairman and two uh, very powerful lobbyists. A federal grand jury formally indicted the five on Thursday, charging each with racketeering. The charges are connected to House Bill 6, the wildly controversial and wildly unpopular bill. It was unpopular even among right wing organizations. And yet uh, this bill was jammed through the uh, through the uh, state legislature and signed immediately into law for some reason by Ohio's Republican governor, Mike DeWine, last year. It bailed out the, the two nuclear plants in northern Ohio. And even though I don't understand why NBC News does not mention this, it also bailed out these two aging, hyper-polluting coal plants to the tune of $1.5 billion. Again, they keep reporting on those bailing out those two uh, nuclear plants, but not on bailing out the uh, coal plants, which I don't understand. Anyway, fixed it for you, NBC. <laughs> Householder played a key role in passing the uh, financial rescue of those plants, which also includes new fees on electricity bills in Ohio and will direct more than one hundred and fifty million dollars annually through twenty twenty six. So that's where you get to one point five billion dollars for these uh, failed fossil fuel dinosaur companies. I guess uh, the nuclear plant isn't a fossil fuel company, but in any event, the uh, center of the scheme, according to officials, was the formation of this tax-free nonprofit called Generation Now that was set up, uh, you know, supposedly to uh, to push for this bill. Instead, it was apparently Householders' personal bank account. It was funded by the failing First Energy Corporation, which had which owned the nuclear plants and had stakes in the coal plants. And it was uh, used, basically, this fund, this Generation Now group, to wield political power and to help pass the bailout scheme. And then later, it was used to kill a statewide ballot initiative that would have overturned HB6. Generation Now was allegedly used to funnel some $61 million in dark money personally to Speaker Householder, who used it to pay off debts and to make home improvements, among other things. U.S. Attorney David DeVillers, uh, in announcing the indictment last week, said, make no mistake, these allegations are bribery, pure and simple. This was a quid pro quo. This was pay to play. Now, after Governor DeWine uh, said that the uh, process of pushing through the, the pushing that bill through the legislature was obviously corrupt, he nonetheless said HB6 should stand anyway. 
After criticism about that, DeWine later said, well, maybe the legislature should review that bill and consider nullifying it, given how it was passed, though it stands today to my knowledge. By the way, Governor, why did you sign that wildly unpopular bill so quickly? Just asking for some friends in Ohio. Householder had initially ignored the calls for his resignation, but uh, he was pushed out on Thursday by everyone uh, in the uh, in the House, and they will uh, be scheduling a vote for a new speaker. Good riddance. Don't let the screen door hit you on the way out. There you go. But hey, uh, speaking of corruption and politics, I bet you hadn't heard about the other scam that appears to be playing out right now inside the Donald Trump for President campaign. Now, you may have heard about some of the other corruption going on, but while the, 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 the biggest bribery and money laundering scheme in Ohio put about $60 million into the pockets of Ohio's House Speaker. This week, a new complaint was filed with the Federal Elections Commission charging that the Trump campaign is funneling at least $170 million straight into the pockets of Donald Trump and his associates and, yes, his own family members. Brendan Fisher of the Campaign Legal Center joins us next to explain the complaint that he filed. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is your Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter, and we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Now they're planning the crime of the century Well, what will it be? Mm, take your pick. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. The Campaign Legal Center, the longtime nonpartisan good government watchdog group, filed a complaint with the Federal Elections Commission on Tuesday uh, alleging President Trump's re-election campaign broke the law by, quote, laundering $170 million in spending in an effort to conceal payments to people close to the Trump family and the campaign. CLC's 81-page complaint alleges that Trump campaign manager Brad Parscale used a pass-through company to pay downstream vendors, including Trump campaign members, associates, and yes, his actual family members. Surprised? Voters have a right to know how campaigns are spending money to influence elections, said CLC president and former Republican chair of the FEC, Trevor Potter, in a statement announcing the complaint. He said this scheme flies in the face of transparency requirements mandated by federal law and it leaves voters and donors in the dark about where the campaign's funds are actually going. Brendan Fisher, the CLC's director of federal reform, noted, quote, this illegal conduit scheme leaves voters in the dark about the entities working for the Trump campaign, the nature of their services and the full amounts that they are paid. We don't know all of what is being hidden by this scheme, said Fisher, but we do know that it violates the law. 
Oh, the law. Silly Brendan, you don't expect the self-proclaimed law and order president to actually follow the law himself now, do you? Joining us now to explain the complaint is our friend, Silly Brendan Fisher, who, as director of the Federal Reform Program at the Campaign Legal Center in Washington, D.C., directs the group's work before federal regulatory agencies, yes, including the FEC, where he advocates for vigorous and fair enforcement of campaign finance and ethics laws He's got his work cut out for him there this year and in holding candidates and political committees accountable for violating those laws. As I said, a lot of work. Oh, Brendan Fisher, welcome back to the broadcast, sir. Thank you for having me. So, uh, Brendan, we have seen a, a, a few news reports in recent days, largely coming from the Washington Post's David Farenthold about how the how both the Trump campaign and the Trump administration is now paying literally millions of dollars directly to the Trump organization itself. That's the Trump company. So that means in the case of the Trump campaign, holding campaign events at Trump properties like the Trump International Hotel in D.C. or any of his Trump branded resorts and golf properties, the, the, the campaign's donor money is actually going straight into Trump's pockets. And in the case of the Trump administration, whenever the president shows up at one of his own properties and uses rooms or other facilities for staff and Secret Service, the U.S. taxpayer is actually putting money into the pockets of Donald Trump through the Trump organization again directly. Your complaint, however, filed now with the FEC, is not that grift, as I understand it, but an entirely different one? <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> and it may not be unrelated. Uh, so our complaint alleges that the Trump campaign and the Trump Joint Fundraising Committee violate the law mm -hmm. uh, by disguising uh, at least $170 million in spending. Mm -hmm. uh, and the way that they disguise that spending is by making millions and millions and millions of dollars in payments to these two firms managed by Brad Parscale, who until recently was the Trump campaign's campaign manager. Mm -hmm. And those two firms then subcontract and disperse money to others, uh -huh. uh, to other vendors to place the Trump campaign's ads, to other vendors to create the Trump campaign's app, as well as payments to Trump family members, like Laura Trump, like Kim Guilfoyle, as well as payments to other entities that we don't know about. Mm -hmm. uh, it is entirely possible that some of those entities include the Trump Organization. Um, it could also include other potential recipients that might give rise to other legal questions. So let me, uh, just to uh, sort of lay out the math here, the Trump campaign, when it was run by Brad Parscale, and I guess we don't yet know uh, uh, what it will look like now, now that he has been demoted, but from the filings that we have, Brad Parscale sets up a company uh, named American Made Media, and I think there was another one, uh, Parscale uh, Holding Strategy. Strategy. Okay, so he sets up American Made Media to, uh, and and the campaign pays that company set up by Parscale a whole bunch of money, ostensibly to do what exactly? So it's a little unclear, um, and this has been going on for a while. It's mm -hmm. been going on since uh, since 2018, and what the campaign said publicly then 
is that uh, this American-made media consultant uh, is going to uh, increase efficiencies and uh, be more cost-effective for the campaign because it's going to act effectively as a media buying firm. Mm-hmm. And the campaign is not going to have to contract out with other other outside vendors. They can you know, bring all of this in-house. Mm-hmm. And the Romney campaign did something something similar in, in 2012. But what we saw is that as the 2020 election cycle moved forward, that American Made was not actually just acting as an in-house media firm or media buying firm. Uh, they were just acting as a conduit. Uh, they were acting as a conduit uh, to hide the ultimate, the ultimate recipient of the Trump campaign spending. And they were not operating in a way that was any more efficient or cost-effective because they were still contracting uh, mm-hmm. with outside vendors. So, so th- they claimed that this is going to cut out the middleman, but then they hired the middleman anyway, essentially. But then created the middleman, <laughs> right? But that then they don't list those companies that American Made would uh, hire to actually then go and do the ad buys and so forth. Those companies don't get listed on any of the campaign finance filings, if I'm understanding it. So a is that lawful? And B, I mean, you guys refer to this as money laundering. That doesn't sound good. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's exactly right. Uh, the ultimate recipients of this $170 million in spending by the Trump campaign mm-hmm. are not reported on the campaign's FEC reports as required by law. And it is required by law. Mm-hmm. Uh, campaigns have to report all of their fundraising. They have to report all their donors. They also have to report all of their spending, um, all of the vendors that they contract with, all of the individuals who are paid by the campaign and the amount that they're paid and the reason that they're being paid. Mm-hmm. And that, for a significant chunk of the Trump campaign spending, that was hidden by the, by the money being routed through these two, these two entities. Uh, through our research, mm-hmm. um, and it took a lot of research, we yeah. were able to identify some of the uh, vendors who appear to have been paid through American Made, but we don't have a complete list. One vendor we identified was uh, called Harris Sykes Media, and mm-hmm. we identified Harris Sykes using FCC reports, uh, Federal Communication Commission reports. And uh, when a campaign buys an ad with a TV or radio station, uh, the ad has to collect information from the advertiser and make it public. Mm-hmm. Um, and we reviewed those records and saw that uh, this Harris Sykes Media uh, was appearing regularly on the, the campaign's ad placement files, but Harris Sykes Media shows up nowhere on the campaign's FEC mm. reports. Uh, so that led us to the conclusion that you know, very likely the campaign is paying American Made, and then American Made is paying Harris Sykes mm-hmm. uh, to yeah. Now, why, why, uh, that's just one example. Why is that uh, helpful or necessary for the public to know which company is actually purchasing a campaign's TV ads? Is that something that we, the public, uh, need to know, or is this just a matter of that's what you're supposed to do? So they're violating the law by not listing uh, by not listing that particular company. Well, I I use this example because it undermines. I use this example because it shows that for one. American Made was not itself acting as the media placement firm mm-hmm. uh, as it claimed publicly. Um, it was, in fact, contracting with outside vendors, and as outside vendors were taking a commission, mm-hmm. there were no apparent cost savings to the Trump campaign by using American Made. 
and American Made was not doing the, this work on its own, mm-hmm. um, as it initially as it initially implied. Mm-hmm. Um, but more more significantly, uh, you know, Harris Sykes just one uh, vendor that we could identify through the use of public records, and there are any number of other of other entities that are doing work for the Trump campaign. Uh, and individuals who are doing work for the Trump campaign and getting paid through American Made. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think ultimately your question is, you know, why does it matter? Uh, why does it matter that uh, mm-hmm. that the ultimate recipients of the Trump campaign spending are disclosed? And you know, that's, on the one hand, uh, it's legally required. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's information that voters have a right to know, and this scheme deprives voters of that right. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of what might be be hidden. Uh, you know, one possibility is potential common vendor coordination. Um, and the Trump campaign is legally prohibited from coordinating its spending with outside groups like super PACs or dark money groups. And one mm-hmm. way that coordination can be established is through the use of common vendors, mm-hmm. um, that the campaign and a super PAC or dark money group uh, is using the same vendors mm-hmm. to produce or place the ads. And if we don't know which vendors are working for the Trump campaign, uh, we can't know uh, whether there is potential evidence of common vendor coordination. Gotcha. Uh, so that's one thing. Uh-huh. Uh, another is the amount uh, paid uh, by the Trump campaign to family members like Lara Trump uh, or to top Trump campaign officials like Brad Parscale. Uh, you know, their names are not showing up on uh, the Trump campaign's FEC reports. It uh-huh. appears that they're getting paid through... Uh, Parscale Strategy, which is another firm set up by and run by Brad Parscale. Uh, you know, that could present potential legal issues. Um, if, uh, if, a family me- if a Trump family member, for example, is getting paid excessive amounts by the campaign, mm-hmm. getting paid uh, amounts that exceed the fair market value of the services they're actually providing, mm-hmm. that could be a legal violation. Um, but also, just more, more generally, uh, you know, the, public, the public and certainly the Trump campaign's donors would want to know uh, if the, the campaign is acting as a good steward of their money mm-hmm. um, and not using you know, your grandma's $10 donation uh, to make a handful of Trump family members rich. So if I was, been, so, so for example, if I, was, uh, if I were working for the Trump campaign, the way we'd, we would expect to see this is that there's a listing. Uh, Brad Friedman is being paid $4,000 a month. Uh, to do something or other for the Trump campaign. But in this case, what we see is just one big, huge lump sum going to Parscale's own company. Then Parscale is paying me instead of $4,000 a month. He's paying me a million dollars a month. And nobody ever knows I've been paid a million dollars a month. Is that sort of how this would work? Exactly. Now, it's, it's not entirely unusual for campaign vendors, as I understand it, to hire subcontractors uh, to, to farm out work to other, far, uh, to other firms, but you, you suggest that this case is, is very different from some of those other cases we've seen. Yeah, that's, that's right. Um, so you know, the, the FEC for a long time has said that a campaign does not need to report all of a vendor's subcontractors. Mm-hmm. So the example I, I use is if a, a campaign contracts with a media consulting firm, and then that firm hires a, uh, a videographer for a day mm-hmm. uh, to film the campaign's ads or to produce the, the, the background footage that mm-hmm. they're going to use to produce the campaign's ads, 
uh, the, the campaign does not have to separately itemize payments to that videographer mm-hmm. uh, because it was a media consulting firm that made the decision to hire the videographer. Um, they hired the videographer in furtherance of their contract with the campaign. Right. Uh, and that sort of precedent you know, appears to have been what the Trump campaign was relying on, um, you know, but they took it to an un- unlawful extreme. Um, you know, and early on... Oh, how unlike, on how unlike, how unlike them. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think, I mean, to be fair, I mean, I think there's a number of campaigns that have pushed the legal envelope mm-hmm. um, and have tried to uh, exploit this FEC guidance to disguise some of their campaign spending. Um, but <laughs> but as is characteristic of uh, of this president, yeah. uh, they've leveled it up. Uh, they've taken it to a whole other to a whole other level. Um, you know, and this activity clearly crosses the legal line. Is it is it possible that uh, Donald Trump doesn't actually know about any of this? That uh, you know, the Pascal's scheme to use American-made media uh, and his other company to pay off other vendors. Is it possible that Donald Trump knows nothing about this, and that this is just a well a a, a Pascal scheme? Yeah, we don't. We don't know. Um, I don't think we know. We know enough at this uh, at this time mm-hmm. to conclude exactly who is benefiting from this from this arrangement. And there could be a number of people uh, who are benefiting from this arrangement. Um, uh, you know, I think one question might be uh, moving forward: Will will the campaign continue to report uh, large expenditures to to Parscale firms? Mm-hmm. Um, now that Pascal has been demoted, um, are they going to continue on the track, or are they going to are they going to change course? Uh, you know that might be a hint as to who actually benefits. Mm-hmm. Um, you know it could be that it's Pascal primarily who's benefiting from this arrangement. But there could also be Trump family members who are benefiting from you know, what are effectively off-the-books off the books payments. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think it remains to be seen. Yeah, as uh, Mother Jones uh, notes in reporting on this, uh, Parscale was fired as campaign manager in early July, uh, but he has remained involved with the campaign, which is not surprising considering how closely he is reported to have ingratiated himself with the Trump family, including paying Trump family members working on the campaign through his own company, Parscale Strategy, which, as your complaint notes, is used as the vehicle to pay Laura Trump, the wife of Eric, Kimberly Guilfoyle, the former Fox News host who is now Don Jr.'s girlfriend. Do you cite that in your complaint uh, because it's fishy or it's just one of the reasons why Trump may be loath to actually get rid of Parscale entirely, even after demoting him? Yeah, well, we cited it in our complaint because it is uh, one of the examples of the, the ultimate recipients of the Trump campaign spending, and we wanted to show that uh, that this, these two entities were just being used as pass-throughs. Mm-hmm. Um, the other reason we cited in our complaint is because because it supports our argument that these two entities are acting as conduits. Um, you know, for, as I described before. Uh, if a uh, if a campaign vendor is hiring a subcontractor to help that vendor provide its services to the campaign, mm-hmm. uh, then the payments to the subcontractor do not have to be reported. Uh, but if the campaign is ultimately making the decision to hire the hire the, the so-called subcontractor, then those payments have to be reported. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if the, if the ultimate recipients of the money are you know, doing work for the campaign and working under the direction or control of the campaign, then the, the payments to those ultimate recipients needs to be disclosed on the campaign's FEC report. Um, you know, and 
clearly um, uh, the the wife and girlfriend of two of Donald Trump's sons you know, were not getting hired uh, in furtherance of Parscale Strategies' contract with the campaign. They were getting hired by the campaign um, because they are close to the Trump family. Mm-hmm. Uh, simple, as, simple as that. And I guess we have then... No actual idea because they're not listed uh, in the FEC documents. We have no idea actually how much they are receiving for their uh, for whatever it is they are doing for the campaign. Exactly, uh, their names do not appear in FEC reports, uh, nor is there any accounting uh, as to how much they are being paid. Is it possible that American-made media, which is getting all this money from the Trump campaign, set up by Brad Parscale, is it possible that American-made media? is then funneling money to the other entity, Parscale Strategy, uh, but not listing that. In in other words, uh, that American-made media is thus funneling money to Brad Parscale himself through one of these... Uh, these schemes, and by the way, I should note that uh, the Hill reports that uh, American-made media uh, is the uh, it, it does not earn any commissions or fees for what it does. They claim that it just builds efficiencies and saves the campaign money by providing in-house services. Uh, they say, of course, it is all on the up and up. But if they were to be paying back money to uh, from American-made to Parscale Strategy, is there any way we would know it? And would that even be anything close to legal at this point yeah we don't we don't know um we we were able to identify some of the uh recipients uh of trump campaign spending routed mm-hmm. through american made and routed through Parscale strategy but we don't know uh who the other recipients are and i mean in some ways the, the sky might be the limit on who might be getting paid through mm-hmm. these through these companies um so it's entirely possible, and you know, even if um, American Made is not taking the commission from uh, the payments that it receives from the Trump campaign, the other entities that do receive the payments uh, very likely are. So if there are other Parscale ent- entities that are uh, receiving payments from American Made and then doing work, mm-hmm. uh, they're very likely taking some sort of a some sort of commission, and thereby uh, allowing Brad Parscale to profit. I've got uh, just a, a few more questions for you. I'm speaking with Brendan Fisher, Director of Federal Reform at the Campaign Legal Center on, yes, an all-new Donald Trump grift that we hadn't even imagined uh, before this complaint uh, was filed by the CLC with the Federal Elections Commission. So, uh, Brent, how unusual is this sort of arrangement in campaign financing? You said you've seen uh, other campaigns, the Romney campaign, which uh, did have entities that, you know, might uh, hire uh, subcontractors and so forth. But are we talking about a completely different scale here that you have never seen before in your uh, many years following this sort of thing and, and these sort of campaigns? Yeah, we've never we've never seen anything like this Um uh, you know, I think the 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 scope and scale of this secrecy scheme is, is unprecedented. Um, and the the Romney campaign uh, did pay a significant amount of money to what it called its in-house media firm, mm-hmm. uh, American Rambler, back in 2012. And you know that that raised some questions about at the time, and there were questions raised about whether that might also be hiding mm-hmm. uh, common vendor coordination. But it seemed like the key distinction there is that American Rambler itself 
uh, was actually doing work for the campaign, or actually doing some work for the campaign. Um, you know, most most notably, they were placed. American Rambler was placing the Romney campaign's uh, broadcast ads. Mm-hmm. So when you pulled those FCC records, uh, American Rambler showed up on the on the report, mm-hmm. uh, indicating that they actually did work in exchange for the money that they were being paid. They were not just not only. Uh, being used as pass-through. Mm-hmm. And with the Trump campaign, it looks like these two par-scale firms are being used uh, only uh, as pass-through mm. to disguise the ultimate recipients of the money. I presume since this complaint is being filed with the FEC as opposed to with the DOJ, that that means this would be uh, a civil versus a, a, a criminal violation of campaign finance law at this time? Yes. Uh, we're alleging civil violations of campaign finance law, um, which would result in uh, monetary penalties and, and importantly, um, establish a precedent that this kind of thing is not permissible. Mm -hmm. Because if the Trump campaign gets away with this, it's just going to become a common practice. It's going to get replicated by campaigns, you know, both Democrat and Republican, uh, to disguise all of their their political spending. So that's what's most important to us. Um, If there was evidence that the violation was knowing and willful and you know, there potentially could be criminal criminal penalties yeah you're uh the uh, president of clc trevor potter he's a former gop chair of the federal elections commission himself uh he notes in the announcement of this complaint that the secrecy here could also disguise other campaign violations but we don't know because the campaign is not disclosing these uh, uh rooted payments that are uh, going on so i suspect we're going to have a lot more to learn about this if and when it moves forward at the FEC, which brings me to my uh, sort of uh, final question here, uh, Brendan. You and I have discussed too many times on this program that the FEC is, by and large, completely broken at this point, uh, on purpose, in fact, uh, largely by the Republicans who appoint folks who block virtually any investigation, at least of Republicans, it seems. So, um how would you expect this complaint, now that you have filed it, uh, will actually play out? And how many years is that likely to take, Brendan? Yeah. <laughs> so you know, even if the FEC had a full quorum right now, mm-hmm. uh, we would not expect it to be resolved um, before, you know, very likely 2022, 2023. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, these bigger and more complex matters you know, often take two to three years to get resolved. Mm-hmm. Um, so the fact that the FCC lacks a quorum at the moment you know, does not make a big, not necessarily make a big difference. Uh, the preliminary uh, review of the complaint uh, is still going to be done by the FEC's attorneys. Uh, the Trump campaign is going to issue a written response to that complaint. The FEC's Office of General Counsel will do their preliminary review and their preliminary investigation and uh, develop a report with the recommendation to the full commission, and then whenever uh, the FEC's quorum is restored, then they would have the opportunity to vote on that recommendation uh, and to potentially authorize a full investigation or to begin to negotiate some sort of a settlement. Um, but no matter what, it's going to be a few years down the road. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, there's opportunities for FEC reform. Um, you know, HR1, the Omnibus democracy reform bill passed by the House uh, last year mm-hmm. it does include FEC reform to make it a functional agency again and restructure the agency. Uh, and 
you know, any president, um, including this president, but also perhaps the next president, can uh, prioritize the nomination of FEC commissioners who will actually enforce the law, uh, and that would go a long way towards making the agency function again. Well, yeah, actually having commissioners in the chairs would actually help, although the way the Republicans and the way the FEC is structured with, what is it, three and three, uh, three Democratic appointees, three Republican appointees, means that pretty much everything ends up deadlocked these days because the Republicans tend to uh, seem to appoint people who are there to stop uh, enforcement of election law rather than to actually enforce it. In any event, Brendan Fisher, uh, very interesting suit th- uh, or complaint, I should say. Thank you for filing it. Please uh, keep us. Uh, by the way, do you hear uh, the Trump campaign will have an opportunity to respond to the FEC investigators? Do you get to uh, see that response or is this all now within the FEC itself? Uh for the moment, it's within the FEC itself. Uh, we would, we will see the response once the once the matter is closed, but not until that time. Gotcha. All right. Well, when we hang up here, uh, be sure to stay on the line, and Desi will book you for a date in 2023 when we'll have you back to talk about how this all goes. Brendan Fisher will uh, link to your complaint, of course, from bradblog.com tonight. Uh, Brendan Fisher is the director of federal reform at the Campaign Legal Center, uh, which can be found at campaignlegal.org, and you can find Brendan on the Twitters at Brendan underscore Fisher. Brendan, always great talking with you, my friend. Hope to do it again soon. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. You bet. Okay, well, while you can't uh, postpone elections, you can apparently postpone the Green News Report, (laughs) which we had to do yesterday. We make up for that next, right here on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Well, one of the problems of uh, pushing back the Green News Report is that we already have to update one of the stories in it, but we will do that after our latest Green News Report. President Donald Trump in West Texas today, campaigning and talking energy. Oil energy, that is. Black gold. Texas tea. New study finds 100% clean electricity target would generate 25 million U.S. jobs. Different study finds wind energy could power entire U.S. grid without harming wildlife. Plus, people across the country have been getting unexpected deliveries from China. Agriculture officials alarmed by mystery seeds in the mail. All of those bad seeds and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Mandating net zero carbon emissions, which frankly is impossible. Only for you, loser. This is your... Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, so Donald Trump went down to Texas 
without Louis Gohmert for some reason and wanted to talk oil. Oh, yes, he did. He visited Texas on Wednesday, but not to comfort a state just hit by a hurricane. Trump toured an oil rig owned by campaign donors and turned the taxpayer-funded official White House event into a campaign rally. Shocking. Promoting deregulation of the fossil fuel industry and announcing new permits for pipelines and oil infrastructure on the southern U.S. border. He also signed new authorizations to export U.S.-produced liquefied natural gas, which will raise prices for domestic consumers, and extended those authorizations to 30 years instead of the standard 20 years. Trump also lied about presumptive Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden's climate policy proposal to create millions of jobs transitioning the nation to clean energy. Seeking an even higher level of restrictions mandating net zero carbon emissions, which frankly is impossible for all new homes, offices and buildings by 230. Not possible to do. No, we won't achieve net zero emissions from electricity by 2.30, either a.m. or p.m. <laughs> but aiming for 2035 is not only technically doable, according to energy experts, but major U.S. corporations and big states like California are already well on their way to achieving it. And a new study puts some numbers behind that target, calculating that Biden's nationwide target of 100 percent clean electricity by 2035 would create millions of high-paying jobs jobs in repairing and upgrading the nation's rickety, decrepit electric grid. According to the new jobs analysis from nonprofit advocacy group Rewire America, quote, based on extensive analysis, an aggressive national commitment to electrify all aspects of our economy would create up to 25 million good-paying jobs over the next 15 years and 5 million sustained jobs after that. You know, this is going to be really fun and really exciting after that guy is out of office. A different study calculates that 17 states in the central United States have enough wind energy capacity to power the entire nation's electricity needs and can do so without endangering wildlife or encroaching on protected lands. The study from the Nature Conservancy is intended to help planners save time and money by targeting areas with the lowest potential for conflict. Wow, once he's gone, America could really be great again. Especially states like Texas, Kansas, and Iowa that had the top three wind energy capacity. Yep. Also, building wind farms instead of pipelines and upgrading the electricity grid means not only jobs, but clean air. Meanwhile, a heads up for Florida and the East Coast on the heels of Hurricane Hannah bringing damage and flooding to Texas. There's already another tropical storm brewing in the Atlantic. Mm. The next named storm will be the earliest ninth named storm ever recorded in this historic Atlantic hurricane season. Here's how to pronounce it, courtesy of the National Weather Service. The next name in the Atlantic hurricane season will be Isaias. Yep. Isaias. Got it? No. Thanks to unusually warm ocean temperatures caused by man-made climate change, hurricanes are increasingly spinning up faster than usual, often with little advance warning, just like Hurricane Hannah last weekend and Hurricane Michael last year. No matter where you are, make sure your household is prepared for extreme weather before panic buying clears out store shelves. Isaias? Isaias. Okay. Let's hope it doesn't hit. 
Finally, a very curious and potentially serious development. Residents in several states have reported receiving unsolicited packages in the mail containing mystery seeds, some labeled as jewelry from China. The U.S. Department of Agriculture this week said, do not open the packages, do not plant the seeds, and do not throw them in the trash because they could be invasive species. If you receive them, contact your state agriculture department. The mystery seeds are believed to be a scam intended to boost seller reviews on Amazon, but who knows? Does anybody know what the seeds actually grow? Not yet. Well, let's plant some. No! Oh. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find, follow, and share us planet-wide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Grow. I want to know what they are. No. Just plant them. Come uh, on. No, do not. They, ab- right. they Most of them do appear now to be uh, mostly innocuous, but See? some of them are invasive species, See? according to new testing. But I encourage everyone to go check out the 1962 film Day of the Triffids. It's a fantastic <laughs> B-movie. It uh, will, will help you understand why this is a problem. I'm sure that's not going to happen here. <laughs> if you get those seeds, go ahead and plant them. All right. Uh, as far as our update, very quickly, uh, to one of our stories on the hurricane yes, that hur- I can't say. Yes, it's now Hurricane Isaias, and it is uh, heading to Florida and up the East Coast, Yeesh. potentially, uh, after it battered Haiti and the Dominican Yeesh. Republic. So, everybody buckle up. Yeah, uh, I'm sure Nicole Sandler, our friend down in Florida, is paying close attention to this one. Stay yes. safe, everyone. Please. All right, we got to get out. My thanks to my guest today, Campaign Legal Center's Brendan Fisher. My thanks, as always, to our producer, Desi Doyen, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. We hope we made it worth your while. If we didn't, uh, we're happy to return your money. How's that? Uh, if you liked what you heard, however, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. And you can even support our work by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. We count 100% on, yes, listeners like you to stay on the public airwaves. Uh, you can drop me an email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Brad Blog. We'll see you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.